Good morning. You may not be aware of it, but today is Easter Sunday in the Orthodox Church. The great schism of 1054, when the church split between, from West and East, Roman Empire, the Besnian Empire. So today, on their calendar, they are celebrating Easter in Russia, in Ukraine, in Greece, in Cyprus, in Lebanon, uh, in Ethiopia, and my brothers and friends and sisters in Ramallah, Palestine. So welcome everyone watching online. Welcome all of you to Easter Sunday, the Orthodox edition. Uh, we have a wonderful way to start this morning's message with a special announcement. Returning home late last night from South Carolina, our very own David Miles returned, having completed all of the steps to become officially ordained as our assistant pastor. Let's hear for Pastor David. Stand, David. Get on the live stream. Get on that camera. There he is. We're so, so pleased, David, for you and for us. And ordination, we're thinking uh, in mid-June, June 13th, so you can look forward to that. And I'm uh, excited to finally be back in the pulpit after uh, a week away. I needed uh, a little time away, and by God's province, I had a scheduled vacation the week leading up to my 50th birthday. Wow, yeah, right? Pretty old, the big 5-0. Thank you, everyone, and thank you so much for making this the most awesome birthday, uh, and surprises and gifts and and blessings, and it was, it was just too much. I, was, I wrote 50 thank you notes, and someone gave me a bookmark, a beautiful bookmark, and I wrote the thank you note to the wrong people. So if you gave me a bookmark, thank you. <laughs> thank you. And Cheryl and I got away. We went, uh, we toured uh, UW campus, thinking that might be a good place for Jonathan, uh, a great school, right? Right? So looking out there. And uh, we had fun in, in Ballard for a couple days, so it was a wonderful a wonderful uh, celebration and surprises, and so I want to thank you and thank all of you. Last Sunday, Pastor David kicked things off with our spring and summer sermon series in the book of Ephesians, Ephesians, God's New Society. The Apostle Paul planted a church in Ephesus, and he served as a senior pastor for two and a half years uh, in this place that was very much like Mumbai, India, a place with many, many different religions and, and pagan religions, a place of great commerce. And there was a small enclave of Jewish believers there in a synagogue where Paul first went. Then he was kicked out. You can read about this in Acts 19. And so he innovated and he went to a public hall in a public square where he could share the good news of Jesus. And over time, both Jewish and non-Jewish Gentile believers came to give their life to Jesus, to follow Christ. Now, years later, A.D. 61-62, Paul is in prison. He's in Rome, and he writes a circular letter. It's, it's addressed to Ephesus, but it's going to make the rounds to all of the uh, house churches and communities in the area to encourage them that Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah, and he has reconciled all creation to himself and to God the Father. And the message continues that Christ has united people of all races and nations to come to be adopted into God's family, into God's new society. So this letter had very many things to say about politics, changing the outlook of our public life. 
And that's why we're titling it God's New Society, something new that God was doing, not just about individual personal salvation, but the saving and the reconciling of all things. Paul's letter to to the church in, in Ephesus, the letter of Ephesians that you have, hopefully some of you have purchased our little booklet we're using the ESV uh, journal Bibles, is a magnificent letter. And I'd encourage you to read through it, even today, this afternoon. It will probably take 20 minutes, probably less time than I'm going to speak to you. I'll probably keep it to about close to 20. Okay, a little outline. It's divided into two halves. The first half, chapters 1 to 3, is the gospel. Just the pure gospel message, the good news that all of history is pointing to Jesus Christ, his accomplished work on the cross, and the opening of the way to salvation for all the peoples and all the nations. Gospel, three chapters. And I have the privilege of preaching for seven weeks on chapters one through three. And then I'm out of here. The elders, <laughs> yeah, what? Uh, I'm being sent on a study leave sabbatical uh, this summer. And I'm so looking forward to that. It's such a blessing. I'm going to commit three hours every morning to prayer and study. I'm going to be praying for all of you by name. I'm going to do some writing. We're going to play. I'm going to fish. I'm going to play golf. I'm going to enjoy God's creation. And I'm going to have some opportunities to to see uh, some uh, friends and family. And during that time, you will be led by our incredible pastoral team, Pastor David, uh, Sarah, who will be ordained uh, in the fall, and Rob Wood. They're going to be our pastoral team. Pastor Frank's going to retire for maybe the last time, Frank, right? This is about your, your eighth retirement from, from the church at the end of May. And then uh, uh, June 20th, I'll mark my 20th anniversary as an ordained pastor. And then I'll be on my way. And as I am, we're preaching through the gospel. And then chapters 4, 5, and 6 is the application of the gospel. It really is quite amazing in the way it's structured. Turn with me to chapter 4, the middle of the letter. If you see it, look at verse 1. You've heard this gospel message for three chapters. And then it says in chapter 4, verse 1, Therefore, I, a prisoner of the Lord, this is Paul, says, I urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. So Paul will go on for that second half Here are all the implications of the gospel in your life personally, in your family, in your church family, in your community, in the culture at large, in the program of God's new society, and the mission of bringing all things under Christ. And so, put another way, Ephesians answers two questions. Number one, what does it mean to be in Christ? And secondly, what does the gospel demand of us? So today's message is going to overlap a little bit with David's superb sermon. I'm not trying trying to, to step on your toes, buddy. But there are going to be some overlaps in the things that I share this morning as David shared last week. Because after the introduction, verses 3 to 14, which we're going to read again this morning, is a tumbling, long, one, run on sentence of praise. In the Greek, there's no punctuation. It's like Paul's just breathlessly trying to get out everything he can that's in his heart and in his mind about his love and praise for God, for all the spiritual blessings, verse 3, everything that has blessed us in Christ. 
You ever have a kid run, run in from playing outside and they're breathless and you're just trying to get, like, just drink some water. Okay. I got to tell you what happened. That's how I have to read this, okay? I'm going to try to do it in one breath. And Paul pours out this Jewish-style uh, poem of a praise called a Barak. I can't roll the R. Barak. Praise to God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So I'm going to catch my breath, and we're going to read Ephesians 1, 1 to 14. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, to the saints who are in Ephesus and, to, and are faithful in Christ Jesus, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him, we have, re have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he has lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which is set forth in Christ." as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed to him, we're sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Paul's prayer is packed with gospel. And I'm going to make reference to doctrine or teaching. And so often we think, okay, here's the Bible lesson. And yet, I want you to hear and feel the passion and the blessing in which he's packing this truth of head and heart coming together. It is a praise poem of the spiritual blessings, every spiritual blessing, verse 3, that we have by grace through faith in the Son and empowered by the Holy Spirit. There are at least three big blessings and some other blessings that you can seek out during your Bible study time, and there's questions in your, uh, in your booklet to, to look through. They're packed in this prayer. Number one, election in eternity past. Number two, redemption in the present, that we are, we are saved by grace. And our focus today, today verses 11 to 14, glorification, the, the goal of this electing, saving, redeeming, atoning love of God, that we would one day be as Jesus is, that our future in glory is secure. I'll try to explain all of that in the time remaining. So David talked about the doctrine of election last week, but, but it bears repeating because, again, verse 11 to 14, it's repeated a number of times. Look at verses 4 to 6. In eternity past, God the Father, quote, predestined us for adoption to himself as sons. We would add as daughters 
through Jesus Christ. How did God choose? Well, the Bible teaches that God elected, God, God chose us before we were created, in fact, before the universe was created, to be united to Christ and to be adopted into God's family. God determined to make us his own through the redeeming, finished work of Christ on the cross. And we can walk through scripture to see that. I'll just draw your attention to Genesis 12 for just a moment. You have the whole beginning of creation and and the big buildup to chapter 11 with the Tower of Babel, and then the focus zeroes in on one particular little itty-bitty family of Abraham and Sarah. God calls Abram and later Abraham, and he says, I'm going to bless you, and you will be what? A blessing to the nations. God later says uh, to Moses, I've heard my people's cry. I'm going to bring them out of Egypt. They will be my people. I will be their God. I have chosen them in this way. And God's plan of restoring all things to himself. Look at verse 10. Uniting all things in heaven and earth in him. It goes beyond personal salvation. All things being restored. So all of human history, Scripture teaches, points to the climax of the coming of Jesus and his finished work on the cross. Here, Paul, just in the opening, he hasn't even started preaching yet. This is just an opening prayer, and he's laying out this wondrous truth of what God has accomplished already for us. Simple definitions can be helpful, right? Election refers to God's freedom in choosing whom he will predestine based solely on his own will. No merit or knowledge. He didn't look into your future and say, oh, you know, you're going to be a pretty good person someday. I'll choose you. No. There was nothing to look forward into our future because there was no future. We were spiritually dead. There's nothing that I bring or contribute to my salvation other than one thing, my need for salvation. That's what I bring to the party. And that's election. God's choosing whom he will. And predestination is the goal. God's elect, his people, will be his own. This destination was determined for us, but then it was realized in the present. When we put our faith in Jesus, when we trust in Christ, when we say, I believe by faith, which itself, by the way, is a gift from God. And we'll talk about that when we get to Ephesians chapter 2. So look at verse 7. In him, we have redemption through his blood. We are redeemed. Our sins paid for. We are free. The shackles loosened. We are saved. Our bills are paid by grace through faith alone. And it's all a gift from God. Verse 8 which he lavished upon us. Those are two of the sweetest spiritual blessings in eternity past, in the present. But now our focus will be what's coming in the future. What can we look forward to? What's being forecasted ahead for us? And that's the focus of verses 11 to 14. Look there with me. The third and biggest blessing, the fancy word for it is glorification. We will be made like Christ. We will be one day completely sinless. There will be one day a place where there will be no more 
tears, no more suffering, no more sickness. And here's the genius of the Apostle Paul in this diverse community in Ephesus of his message. Across racial, international innovation of gospel preaching, right here Paul says to the people, this gospel is offered to everyone. To everyone. Let me reread verses 11 to 14. Just, just look there again. I, please pay attention to the pronouns. Spent a lot of time talking about pronouns recently. So let's look at the pronouns. We, you, are, and we again. I want you to circle those if you're using your notebook uh, and take a look at them, study those with your group. I'm going to reread this. I'm going to read into you the definition of those pronouns. Verse 11. Paul, this Jewish rabbi now becoming a follower of Christ, this is the kind of message that he would have preached for two and a half years. In him, that is, in Christ, we, referring to himself, we Jews, by blood, by nationality, we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we, we Jews, the nation of Israel, by blood, the chosen ones, right, the children of Abraham, so that we, who first believed, who first hoped in Christ, might be to the praise of his glory. In him, you, Gentiles, non-Jewish people, also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, when you believed in Jesus, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our Jew and Gentile alike inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. Mind blown. What's the big deal? The big deal, this had never happened before. We just heard a report, it's 2021, of what's happening in India. Think about all the different religions and the persecution and this little sect of Christians that are just trying to make it by There's tons of gods. That's what it's been like throughout human history. And now here's a message, the only message that says this is offered to everyone. God has picked both Jews and non-Jews to be his adopted kids. Ah, that's huge, folks. People are swooning. Just you watching at home, they're passed out. They can't believe it. It's quiet here because everyone's just, everyone take a minute, get some air. That's what's happened. That's what you're missing in person. Tough crowd. All right. This is what this means. It, it me, Paul's saying, for me and myself as a Jewish person and for you Gentiles, are there any Gentiles in the room? Anyone here not of Jewish descent, Jewish bloodline? Okay, I'm seeing a lot of hands going up. You are now part of the family. Our pastor brother just said, the DNA of Christ. We are now God's new society. This is the great beauty of the gospel. God the Father initiated this plan of salvation. God the Son embodied and executed the atoning, redeeming plan of salvation, which David covered last week and talked about our adoption. And now our focus, it's the Holy Spirit, the power of the Holy Spirit, that seals the inheritance, guaranteeing the inheritance for us. Let's just jump right there. Let's talk about inheritance for the time we have. 
Look at verse 13b. It says, we have been sealed with the promise of the Holy Spirit. Pastor Frank showed me his signet ring. I think about like a king has a signet ring. A silver fox surely has one. You have your initials on it, right? You drip a little wax and you would press that signet into the wax to leave your mark, right? Taskmaster puts his mark on the letter. So we read in Daniel 6 when Daniel was thrown to the lions and the, the, the place where the lion's den was was sealed up and the signet ring was applied. On Jesus' borrowed tomb, that giant stone was rolled in place and, and it was sealed with the seal of, of Rome from Pilate. What did it mean? It meant no one can break either of these seals because this is a sign of, of royalty. Only one that has more power than the king or than Rome as an empire can break this seal. So, so a seal is a source of security. It's also a sign of authenticity, legitimacy. This is a deposit. This is a promissory note. I've, I've signed it. It's sealed, signed, sealed, and delivered, if you will. It's going to happen. In 1966, uh, my parents were living in a, uh, a two-bedroom, two-unit apartment in Oakland, California. You can do the math. I wasn't around yet, not until 71. Love child. Anyway, they had two little boys in their place in Oakland, California. And one day, the landlord decided that he was going to move into the downstairs apartment. I just talked to my mom about the story yesterday so I can get the facts right. He decided to evict my parents and my two big brothers who were little and noisy. Can you imagine a day and age where you could just kick someone out of their home? The more things change, the more they stay the same. They were given 30 days to clear out. And my mom was shared with me how desperate that time was trying to figure things out. So my dad would who was an early riser, which I received from my dad. It was one of the inheritances of my dad. He scoured the papers. He scoured the San Francisco Chronicle every morning. And one Saturday morning, found a listing for a house in the Rockridge neighborhood. My parents knew that neighborhood. There's a little park across the street. Probably felt that they couldn't afford it. But there was a house coming on the market at 10 a.m. on that Saturday in 1966. The previous owner had defaulted on their mortgage and lost the deed to the house. And so my dad woke my mom up and said, let's go. And they raced to the house, and he said, Judy, go upstairs, check it out. And he walked into the kitchen where uh, the the fellow selling the house was. She came down five minutes later. There's, what, three bedrooms and one bath, eventually five people, you know, one bath. That was the inspection. My mom just looking around, and there were three rooms and little closets, and she came down and she said, it looks good. My dad reached into his pocket and slapped down a $100 bill and said, we'll take it. And that was it. They had no idea what condition the house was in. They weren't even sure how they were going to afford it. The house was priced at $26,000. My mom shared with me a little bit more detail that I didn't know. She said that they asked my grandparents for a loan of $2,000 because they they couldn't afford the down payment. $2,000. She said, we never missed a payment. They put us on a plan every month to pay off that $2,000 carefully until it was completely paid off. 
My mom still lives in that house. It will be 100 years old uh, next year. And I valued it. I checked it out on Zillow and on Redfin. Over $2 million as of this weekend. Paul praises God in this one long, run-on, no-punctuation sentence saying, if you believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Christ, then you are in the family. What God has planned for you is coming about. He's working that blessing in your life, and it is secure. Why? Because the Father slapped down the priceless payment of his Son's own blood. Plan in eternity past between Father, Son, and Spirit to pay for your redemption. And the Spirit of God that resides now within us, that we experience as a body of believers, reminds us, encourages us that this is a secure future, an inheritance of heaven, the kingdom of God. What an amazing Grace and blessings, my friends, they're all ours in Christ. Purchase us from heaven to hell, from death to life, from darkness to life, from alienation to restoration, from a life of sinning and shaming and failing and flunking to a life of loving and sacrificing and caring and fulfilling the purposes of God and fulfilling the very thing that we are designed to be, being all of who we are meant to be in the first place is all ours. And Paul's just opening in prayer. And I'm already ready to lie down and have a nap, but I am 50 years old, so. (laughs) Friends, I want you at home and you in person here to savor the promises of the gospel. These blessings to you, especially in the hardest of circumstances. When you're facing an unknown future, many of you are uncertain about your circumstances. When you're living in the tension of the, yes, I know I'm safe, but things are a real mess in my family. These relationships in my future. Look back to the gospel for the security that we have here. The experience of the Spirit in little ways and big ways, like Friday night, like we're going to celebrate here, a foretaste of the kingdom to come when we come to the Lord's table. When you taste that bread and that fruit of the vine, and you can imagine one day there will be a seat for you at the Father's table. In the last book of the Old Testament, the book of Malachi, Malachi the prophet, being inspired by the Holy Spirit, pens the words speaking for Yahweh, God Almighty, chapter 3, verse 17, thinking in his mind, in his limited understanding of all that would come, that this only applied to the Jewish people. And yet now we see, 400, 500 years later, the coming of Christ that it applies to all peoples. Quote, they shall be mine, says the Lord of hosts, in the day when I make up my treasured possession. Do you know you're God's treasured possession? Do you know, Paul will write later that you are a masterpiece. You're one of a kind. There's no one like you. God is so good. And all of it is to the praise of his glory. Check out verse 3, 6, 12, 14, very briefly. 
to the praise of God's glory. Paul, Paul repeats this again and again. He wants us to know from beginning to end, God's ultimate purpose is his own glory. He created all of this. He created you. He set us to be part of his story so that we could experience his goodness and his joy and so that we then could glorify God. God, why did you choose me? Because I love you. Why did you love me? Because I love you. Parents have a way of not answering the question you're trying to ask, right? But why? Because. My mom's been a widow for 22 years. Same house. We've tried time and again to get her to sell the house and move closer to one of us. Now I'm on the same coast, at least. And she refuses. 22 years a widow. She said, no, when your father slapped that $100 down, this was going to be our home. I'm going to die in this home, she's told me. And it will be your inheritance for you and your brothers. I'm a week early for Mother's Day. It's the most beautiful, wonderful mother a boy could have. And as wonderful as she is, how much more what the Father in heaven has done for us and prepared for us and paid for us and for you. And yet we worry. These wonderful blessings ought to move us to praise. Praise to God the Father. Praise to the Son. Praise to the Spirit. Three in one. I'm going to invite our pastoral team to come up. David and Sarah and Rob. And Sarah's going to be leading us in prayer to get ready to come to the table. David will say the words of institution and then Rob and the Plett ladies will lead us in praise.